Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. NBA legend and basketball Hall of Famer Grant Hill recently released his memoir called Game and Autobiography. I spoke to Hill about growing up in Virginia, throwing that iconic buzzer beater pass to Christian Leitner at Duke University, and his stellar NBA career with the Detroit Pistons and beyond. He even names the toughest opponent he ever had to guard in the NBA. Hey, Grant Hill, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You are one of my childhood heroes, I got to say. So this is a real treat. <laughs> but uh, we're talking because uh, about your new memoir that's out. It's called Game, an autobiography. Uh, let's start there. Why, why write the book? Were you, were you just stuck home during these you know, crazy last couple of years of pandemic? And you thought, well, now's as good a time as any to, to get this on paper? <laughs> well, that's partially it. Uh, you know, I think a little bit before the pandemic, um, you know, I, I was thinking about the idea of maybe writing a book, I, you know, was enshrined into the Naismith Hall of Fame, um, you know, back in 2018. And so, you know, that is a reflective moment naturally. And I think that was sort of the spark that ultimately led to me deciding, hey, you know, maybe I should do this. Maybe the time is right. And as you said, during all the craziness of the last couple of years, it at least gave me some time to collect my thoughts and share my story. Right, exactly. Well, we're looking forward to reading it. Uh, well, you'll, you'll get, a, I guess, a Cliff Notes version in this interview, but you got to read the whole thing. But remind our listeners, we wanted to talk to you here in D.C. You know, WTOP is the big news station in D.C. Um, because you grew up around here, right? Well, obviously, you're born in Dallas in 72 because your father was, you know, of the Dallas Cowboys, Calvin Hill. But he was traded up here to Washington with George Allen and all those guys in 76. So you grew up around Reston, Virginia, just memories of growing up here. And were, were you sort of caught between that Dallas, Washington rivalry or, or did you go with your dad's old team or his new team or what do you do <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was uh you know it was interesting I mean we moved when I right before I turned four four years old we moved to DC and that's where I grew up in northern Virginia and um yes my allegiances were the, to the Cowboys ah, come on. <laughs> in, in the book I, I I explained why you know in part I was and I was named by Roger Staubach, the iconic quarterback for the Cowboys. And so he named you. He told your dad to name you. And, and that's all in the book. And it, I, uh -huh. I get into the story of how it all played out. But yeah, so you know, I, I couldn't let Roger down and and and, and betray <laughs> the Cowboys. Um, but um, but yeah, just great memories, great times. Reston was was a was a beautiful you know experience. Great people, a lot of diversity. Uh, obviously, very much active in sports. Uh, and, uh, you know, tended to gravitate towards basketball, but, you know, that's home, you know, DC, the DMV, that's home. Um, that's where I came of age. I grew up, 
Um, and of course, as a basketball player, some of the best basketball players, uh, at, le at least at that time, there was some great basketball in the DMV area. So you didn't have to leave to get the great, the best competition. You know, I got it in Reston. I got it playing in various tournaments, summer leagues in the DC area. And that's where, uh, you know, I became the ball player that I, that I eventually became. Oh, yeah. It is a hotbed of basketball around here. Youth league all the way up through for sure. And then you're and like to your point that, you know, back then, you know, and you had Maryland and Len Bias and all that back in the 80 Georgetown Ewing. And I mean, uh, Coach Thompson, I mean, it, it was it was a national brand uh, for basketball. And your mom wanted you to go to Georgetown. Right. But and your dad was saying, no, go to Carolina. And you chose neither. You went to Duke. <laughs> Why did you go with uh, Duke? Because, you know, it, it's hard for kids to imagine now. Duke is this big brand and Coach K but um, they weren't famous really back then. So, you know, why'd you go with Duke? Did you see something in Coach K early on or what was it? Well, you know, I get into the book. I mean, the, the first basketball game that I watched where I, I fell in love and I wanted to one day hopefully do that was the, the, the 1982 NCAA championship game when a freshman named Mike Jordan hit the game-winning shot against Georgetown. <laughs> you might have heard of him. <laughs> yeah, and then became Michael Jordan after he hit the shot. <laughs> But I, I instantly became a fan of both programs. And, you know, we were in the D.C. area. Uh, we ended up getting season tickets to, George, to the Georgetown games at the Old Cap Center. And uh, Michael Jackson, who, not the singer, but the basket, basketball player, went to my high school. He was older, and he was a freshman Ewing's sophomore year. Okay. So we followed him in high school. We followed him at Georgetown. And through him, I got to get to know the program. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think my mom sort of preferred Georgetown. Um, and then my dad, you know, loved Dean Smith, but you know, I, I fell in love with coach K and, you know, I just, he was building his program, his reputation. Uh, he was an incredible, uh, leader. Um, he really connected with me during the recruiting process. And what's interesting, as you said, I mean, there was, you know, there was reservations, I guess, about Coach K and, you know, could he win the big one? Yeah. You know, prior to me arriving, uh, they had been to four Final Fours in five years and could not win the big one. And so there was a lot of that noise out there about, you know, Coach K's great, great program, but he can't win. Uh, and it's hard to, to imagine that or think that now as you've seen his his, his iconic legendary career and all the winning and championships he's done. But that was a narrative that was, in, in, you know, that was out there at the time, but, you know, just, he was the right fit. He was the right coach. Um, and uh, I'm surprised at 16 that I, I had the foresight to make that tough decision. And for <laughs> me, the right decision. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It turned out to be the right decision. You were saying he couldn't get over the hump that people were saying. And but but with your group of guys, uh, your freshman year and your sophomore year, uh, you and Coach K and the whole guys, uh, you got over it and you won uh, the NCAA championship in 91, 92. Of course, you went went back again your, your senior year, I guess, and lost in 94 when you were ACC player of the year. But of course, uh, one final question on the Duke front. 
everyone remembers you for throwing that full court pass <laughs> to Christian Leitner at the buzzer beater to beat Kentucky, you know, in the elite eight and 92 Jamal Mashburn jumping up and down on the sideline for Kentucky thinking they want it, but you guys rally in the huddle with coach K what, what's that moment like when you're in the huddle and then going to the sidelines? Cause for, you know, now we've seen it a million times. It's called the shot, but you threw the pass. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did throw the pass and you know, it, it, it's still when I watch it, watch it and see it, uh, played a lot, particularly during March Madness. I, I still get nervous, uh, <laughs> but you know it was a it was a great moment, um, an iconic moment. Uh, you know, obviously in the moment we weren't aware of of just the magnitude of it all. We were all competing, trying to win. You know that timeout when Sean Woods hit that shot with you know two two point I don't know two point one two point three seconds left. You know, I, I was worried. I was concerned. I didn't, you know, I thought this was it. I thought our magical run was over. And it was really Coach K and how he took charge of that huddle. And it was really a, a valuable lesson in leadership. And here we are kind of in a crisis situation. And instead of telling me to make the pass, he asked me to make the pass. He asked if I could do it. And, you know, and, and so, you know, me saying yes and just sort of claiming it, speaking it into existence, saying it in the group, in the huddle for everybody to hear, that was an empowering moment uh, and a powerful moment. And then he went to Christian Leitner and asked him, you know, can you make the shot? And then Christian, who, you know, was super confident and had not missed a shot from the field or from the free throw line the entire game, you know, Christian said, Christian said, if Grant makes the pass, I'll make the shot. And so now I'm nervous again because now I'm like, okay, now I got to make the pass. But it it was, you know, it was a great moment. And um, it was, you know, just, I mean, we, like I said, I was 19 years old at the time and uh, you just lost in the game, you're competing. And it was just a, a situation where we had the ball last and we were able to deliver, but Kentucky was certainly very worthy of winning that game. And really one of the great college NCAA tournament games of all time. Yes, the game was just every. I remember watching it as a kid. The game was just as big as the shot. Of course, the shots now. You're part of like arguably the probably the most famous uh, college basketball play of all time. Um, and it's funny, you know. I just just riffing real quick. Um, I mean, I, I I ended up, you know, I'm I'm a terp up here. Like you know, you grew up around here, so you know. And I went to college, but our hatred, our hatred, our born and bred hatred for Duke didn't really start until after that because you guys had to get really good after that, and then there was the the terp rivalry. But back then, man, everybody was a Duke fan with that shot just because it was so huge uh real quick tell me about the you know getting drafted by the pistons number three in the nba draft uh our washington bullets uh i think we're number five that year so we were selfishly hoping you you fell but we knew it wasn't gonna happen <laughs> but you you signed that 45 million rookie contract there's the sprite commercials obey your thirst all that stuff um and everyone was sort of you know Pitting you as like the next Michael Jordan. You turned down Nike for Fila. You had Tupac and Method Man wearing the shoes. You mentioned that in the, the book stuff. Uh, but just tell me, take me into that whole whirlwind of, of uh, you know, that rookie year. Yeah, no, it, it was a whirlwind. And, um, you know, I, I had a great four years at Duke and, 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 and maybe in part because we, we were so visible at Duke uh, that when I went into the NBA, people, people knew me, you know, we, we had, you know, been on national television a number of times. And so uh, right away I had, you know, I had success um, right away and, and certainly a lot of attention and commercials and, you know, magazine articles, like, you know, stuff that I'm not even sure I ever really dreamed about. 
and it was all happening very quickly. And so it was overwhelming at times and, um, and a little bit uncomfortable with it because uh, it wasn't something that I was coveting. Um, and so, you know, I didn't say no to it. I mean, I did it all. It was incredible. But, you know, I get into that in the book about just, you know, jumping into a new world now and jumping into this extreme level of celebrity and how to navigate that and how I managed that and dealt with that. Um, but certainly was was an interesting time. And, um, you know, it, 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 it happened really, really quickly uh, yeah. when I entered the league. Oh, absolutely. I want to remind, in case there's some younger uh, listeners watching this, um, I want to remind them how friggin' good you were <laughs> during that Pistons run there, you know, pre-injury and everything. Um, that you Obviously, you won the Rookie of the Year in 95, shared it with Jason Kidd, but I think you were the first Pistons rookie to score 1,000 points since Isaiah Thomas, the legend. Uh, your second year, you lead the NBA in triple doubles with 10 and lead the All-Star fan voting over one Michael Jordan who inspired you when you were <laughs> watching. Um, I think in, in over those first six seasons, you scored like over 9,000 points, over 3,000 rebounds, 2,000 assists. I think only Oscar Robertson, Larry Bird, and Le LeBron James have done better since then. So just memories real quick of that whole, I guess what we call your, your, you know, your prime NBA heyday there in Detroit. You were unstoppable, man. Yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible start. First six years, I was on this great trajectory. Um, very exciting. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things I realized in writing this book was that I didn't fully appreciate it. And uh, I didn't fully celebrate it. You know, I was chasing Isaiah. I was trying to get to this legendary status. And I didn't feel that I deserved to celebrate uh, until I got there. And so I was constantly like pushing forward and like, what do I have to do uh, to, to get there? And what do I have to do to accomplish? What do I have to do to win? And so I didn't fully enjoy it in the moment. And I think the process of writing the book and going back and taking a look at it, uh, I really was able to appreciate and celebrate some of those wonderful experiences early on in my career in Detroit. Right. To your point, because you, you, you don't fully appreciate it. You take it for granted when you're in it. A, you're young and B, you get that. You think it's going to going to last forever. You have no you can't have the foresight. And uh, and of course, you and, and, you know, all of your fans, we 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 were rocked with that. You know, that when you had that ankle injury in 2000 and, and not just the injury, um, but, you know, it, there was this what, a surgery in 2003 is like life threatening complications. You had to miss the whole 0304 season. By that point, I think you're, you're with the Orlando magic. Um, but talk about how, how devastating that was. And, you know, I'm sure you write about it in the book. Has that book writing process allowed you to sort of, I don't know, any catharsis of that really rough, more frustrating time of your career? Yeah, no, it was tough. I mean, I, I you know, life threatening. I had a situation where, you know, a surgery, if it didn't work, then the only other option was amputation. Uh, so a lot went on and, and a lot that people weren't aware of. And, you know, I think when, when something sort of traumatic happens, I think we, we, we suppress it to get through it. And I did that. And the process of writing the book, I was really able to unpack a lot of the mental and the mental and emotion the mental and emotional part of going through that whole ordeal. I didn't really deal with that in real time. You know, I was just trying to get through it and doing whatever I had to do. But, you know, going back and, and, and writing about it, living in that space, trying to retell what happened, sharing with 
you know, in, in the book, sort of all that happened with regard to the injury. And I realized I still had some baggage I had to deal with and process. And, um, and so I was, I wasn't aware that I still had to deal with right. some of that, but, um, but the residue of all of that was still there. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, once again, I take you through some of the highs of, of great success, winning championships at Duke, certainly success individually in college, or excuse me, in the NBA early on in Detroit, but then also the injuries and the emotions and the difficulty and the challenges and the conversations and all of that. So um, really just a roller coaster ride of feelings, thoughts and emotions uh, and sharing that with with, uh, with 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 those who read it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's really great that writing it has provided sort of that catharsis of, you know, the time with Orlando and Phoenix and the Clippers and all, you know, and the injuries and all that. But um, we, we do want to talk about uh, you had another big high. I mean, not only the NBA Hall of Fame in 2018, but we, we got to mention before we run, you were part of what was it? Dream Team Part Two, uh, the Olympic gold medal in 96 in Atlanta. Do, where, do you still have that hanging somewhere around the house? Where do you keep the gold medal? <laughs> Yes, I do have the gold medal, and uh, that was an incredible achievement and accomplishment representing my country, uh, playing on that Olympic world global skate stage, uh, and playing with some great players, you know, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Akeem Olajuwon, legends of the NBA, and so, you know, really one of the great accomplishments for me personally. Absolutely. And uh, I guess just sort of final seconds, uh, remind us, uh, I mean, we, we still see you all over with any, anything related to the NBA now. You're director of the U.S. Uh, basketball men's national team. I guess that's sort of your Olympic ties carried on to the present. You're co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, that's a cool deal. And then also we see you on TV as an analyst, so CBS and all the Turner networks with all the games going on now. So do you, how fulfilling is it now that you're at this spot in life? You know, you can kind of look back or now you're more of a managerial and an analyst, a co-owner uh, position. It's, 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 you're on the other side of the coin now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's actually, really a lot of fun. I mean, I love the game. I obviously can't play it anymore, but to still work and be around the game uh, and have a number of different roles and responsibilities, Team USA, uh, ownership with the Hawks, television, March Madness. Um, I'm even on the board of the NCAA. I mean, just, you know, being in these leadership roles around the sport, uh, it's challenging, it's fun. Um, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate and grateful for that. And I just love basketball and to be able to serve it, to be able to work in it, uh, to be able to hopefully make it better, uh, is something that, that I don't take lightly and, uh, very, very grateful of, you know, the longstanding relationship and connection to the game of basketball. Final question. Who's the best player you ever played against at any level? Could have been college, pros, uh, Olympics, anything. Well, I mean, the best player ever was Michael Jordan. I mean, I think the best player that I had to guard, I didn't guard Michael. I guarded Scotty. Right. You were more of a small forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Scotty and I used to battle each other back in those (laughs) Detroit days. Um, But, you know, the, the, the player I had the toughest time against was Kobe Bryant. And that was more so when I was towards the end of my career, uh, I was in Phoenix and I was, uh, uh, you know, I was given the responsibility of trying to slow him down and guard him, but he was by far the, the toughest opponent I had to go against uh, and try to stop. Mm, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yep. 
Uh, all right. Well, so many great, you know, memories here, but, uh, you know, read about them in depth and so much more. We didn't even have time to cover. You got to pick it up. It's called the book is called Game and Autobiography by the legendary NBA Hall of Famer Grant Hill. Thanks so much for joining us. This was a blast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jason. And you're always welcome back here in the DMV, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's always good to be able to come back home. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.